the Lord. Go ahead and be seated. So we had a real opportunity again this Sunday. We had, we had one baptism. I think there were one or two others that we thought might also get baptized today. And, that, you know, they're doing the good thing and waiting on family to be here and stuff like that. So we had one baptism. But, you know, when we baptize somebody, uh, when they get back up out of the baptistry, they keep walking, right? They start walking. And, uh, you know, part of what we know from the Word of God is you get baptized as a statement to say that when you get up out of there, you are going to be walking in newness of life. But how do you do that exactly? I mean, what's going to help you learn how to walk in that newness of life? Well, what it is, is discipleship. And so if you've never been discipled, you can sign up at the desk out in the lobby and we will pair you up with someone one-on-one to take you through 16 basic fundamental concepts of the Christian walk and help you learn how to walk as a disciple. Whenever someone goes through that, we like to recognize it and acknowledge that and give some recognition. And so this, in this case, it's in our Spanish class. And we have Rudy, Rudy come up, our Spanish pastor, and you don't have it, I don't have it. Does anybody have it? I thought I saw it. Where did it go? The discipleship certificate? I mean, we can do what I do in weddings where one, one party or the other forgets a ring. We fake it. <laughs> it's still valid. I'm just saying, we, we fake it when we have to. So, so Rudy, Rudy. Just call him up and just hand off something imaginary. Let's go. Are they here? Yes. yes. So, Rudy, come up and introduce everybody and act like you're handing something off, and we will give it to you. I promise. I promise. Muy buenos días. Yeah, you know that when... Um, when you be in the presence of God, so Peter's going to say, hey, welcome to the heaven because you receive discipleship one and in Spanish, the heavenly language. <laughs> so I'm sorry for them. Okay. Now, I, I great God for this guy, and uh, uh, he has a great testimony. And uh, I'm, I'm very uh, thankful because uh, he is uh, faithful to receive that discipleship one and every Wednesday, and sometimes, you know, has some troubles, but uh, um, it was a great, great time. So, uh, um, just going to give you a thanks for, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, we're going to uh, promise we're going to give you that certificate. So, so thank you. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is the last Sunday that Josh and Hillary are going to be here. The Keats are going to be here uh, together, I think, because Josh will be going this, uh, later this week to Rhode Island for his Navy chaplaincy training, and then they will be uh, moving on as the Lord and uh, the, uh, the Navy sends them. And so praise the Lord. If you want to say goodbye to them, do that this week. Also, Gene and Brenda Stogsdale, either this week or next, going to be their last week. They're moving to New Philadelphia, Ohio, uh, to be with their son, Troy, and uh, also their grandchildren. And I told them in the first service that they need to tell Troy 
that I get to pick two people from his church who have to move here <laughs> because I've never yet gotten the one supposed to replace Troy. And, and so I'm just saying that's the only Christ-like thing to do. So, so praise the Lord, praise the Lord. You know, uh, Psalm 2 verse 4 says, says of the Gentiles, the nations, that God shall have them in derision. And I, among the things I think that means is God will have them even deriding each other. I think there's no time that that's more true than in our society right now. I mean, that's, this is truth for our end times, I'm just saying. Because we've got a lot of municipalities that did away with local health departments for fiscal reasons in the last year and a half brought theirs back. So what had happened is we have a county mask order and a Blue Springs mask order and then Independence had a mask order for a week and withdrew it and St. Louis had a mask order for a day and withdrew it and so it's kind of a, a patchwork of things and it, you know, it seems like a real mess. And um, I'm just shouting, saying praise the Lord, because we have now come full circle in 20 centuries, from the first century to the 21st century. And in the first century, the issue was, do I eat meat, sacrifice to idols, or do I not, versus do I mask up or do I not? But it's the same thing. And in the first century, so as, you know, it, it, it was different for you. They treated churches differently depending on what province or what um, uh, locality that you might happen to be in. That was true all the way up until uh, the uh, persecutions under Diocletian and Galerius about 250 years after the church started. So we've got it. I mean, I'm so excited. I know Jesus is coming back today. And if he doesn't, I'm not wrong. I'm just disappointed because it, it will be soon, I think, because it, we've come full circle. It is exactly the th same thing happening today. And I, and I look at, you know, what is happening and I see, okay, um, you know, there is a mask order, but among the exemptions, they exempt religious institutions. So it's serious, but only that serious. And also they say nothing about capacity limits or spatial distancing. So it is serious, but it's only that serious. And so I, you know, and looking at all of that, and I know that uh, being on the uh, uh, on a school board, I know that uh, school boards are kind of deciding for themselves what they're going to be doing. And and in the schools, the teachers are with kids, the same kids, five days a week for usually over six hours a day. Here, uh, you know, I wish we got every child every single week. You know what I'm saying? But, but a lot of times that's just not possible or doesn't happen. So, so we're in a little different situation and all that going on. So you say, Alan, well, what, what should we do? Well, I, here, here I'm shouting, saying, praise the Lord, because now we are in the exact same conditions so that what should we do? Number one, let's be known as the New Testament church. Let's just be known as the New Testament church. I mean, we've for all practical purposes, got New Testament times again. So let's be known as a New Testament church. Let everybody in the community, in the city, say of Harvest Baptist Church of Blue Springs, you know what, I tell you what, they're a New Testament church. No matter how the wind's blowing, no matter what the mess going on, no matter who's deriding whom, that church has steered a straight course. They, they, you know, God enabled them to hit a straight lick with a crooked stick because they're just simply boiling it down to let's be a New Testament church. 
And so number church, number two, at church, let's go out of our way for the weakest. You know, and some people are, the, are weaker in uh, their estimation of their immune system, or maybe they can't get vaccinated or whatever, so they're very meticulous about wearing masks. Uh, other people are also weak in the sense that they may have allergies or they may have breathing issues or other things, and masking is the, the last resort of what they want to have to do. So, okay, let's go out of our way for the weaker brethren because that is being a New Testament church. And, you know, for me, I'm, uh, I know that you're listening to anecdotal evidence all the time. So, so let me go ahead and give you my anecdote. I've been vaccinated. Uh, not only does it work, I can tell when it's working. Now, that's, that's, my, that's, how, that's, how, you know, that's my evaluation of it with me. So for me, I wouldn't necessarily mask up, except that I think, you know, I got a new mask, and I think it's kind of cute, and uh, I think probably even more handsome than the alternative. So, so I'm okay with it. And, you know, if we will just go out of our way for the weakest, we'll be fine. So if you have your Bible with you, turn to John chapter 14. You know, I can remember when my girls were really young and the first few times we dropped them off in a new class. So maybe they're moving from preschool to, uh, to first grade or something like that. And it's a new teacher and a new thing and it's all different. And we, and we could talk to them about the teacher, all we wanted in advance. We could tell them what was going to go on and we could reassure them that after we drop you off, we will actually come back and pick you up and we will be there to retrieve you. But all they knew at the, in the moment was that mommy and daddy were leaving. That is how Earth's earliest disciples feel right here in John 14. I mean, they're only three years old spiritually, and I think the look on their faces leads Jesus into one of the most important discussions in the entire Bible. And that leads us into our thesis for this series. And the thesis is this, the thing that arms and enables the Word of God to do the work in your life is the Holy Spirit. It is His power. Holy Spirit power operating in you. So let me take you to today's text because in John 14, Jesus is getting ready to leave His disciples and return to His Father. And He says in verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled at this. Don't be anxious over this. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Kind of sounds like the rapture. Doesn't say I'm going to come all the way down and take you away. You're going to be raptured up to me. Then both of us are going to come together in the second coming. So we already saw that in the book of Revelation that we just finished up. So I'll receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. Okay, so one day we will be where he is, but this day and until that day, uh, he has to be where we are or else we are orphans. So if Jesus leaves, who do the disciples walk with now? If Jesus leaves, what do the disciples do when people need to experience God in some miracle of mercy in their life? I mean, if Jesus leaves, how do the disciples hear his word speak to them? 
After all, they committed their lives to Christ for a lifetime, and they committed their lives to Christ for an eternity, which begins with glorifying God right now on this planet through his body, this church. So how can we give our life to you, Jesus, and then have your life taken away from us? You know, for many Baptists, and I'll say most Christians, the most neglected person of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit. So today, I want you to experience God by learning about the Holy Spirit. But since you're not yet feeling me like I need you to, can I give you an experiential explanation of our need, our need of God's Holy Spirit? Jesus starts talking to them about the replacement, the surrogate, the teacher, the Holy Spirit. So first off, notice if you will, and this is number one, how the Holy Spirit is the one who leads us into all truth when we need a word from God. John 16 verse 13 talks about that. Number two, the Holy Spirit is the one who gives supernatural results out of natural circumstances. I mean, 2 Timothy 1.7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And number three, the Holy Spirit is the one that we are to live in, pray in, worship in, mind, and walk after through this life. And you can read all the supporting verses when you get home because they prove how the Spirit's work in your life transcends dispensations. So some of the things said even in the Old Testament are still true for you today. So make this your devotional study this week because it is foundational. Back to John 14, verse 15. If ye love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. So Jesus does not say he's going to ask the Father for the comforter, the consoler, the advocate, until you, in your personal life, come to grips with verse 15. So this is a promise, verse 16, based upon a premise, verse 15. This is a foundational principle on the Holy Spirit. You do not get to walk with the comforter until you prove your love for God's word. So it all gets back to biblical authority. That's why that is so big to us here at this church. You can't just sing, oh, how I love Jesus. Because if your heart is as right as you think it is, it has to be shown. You're in your relationship to God's word and in your walk. So you don't get a Holy Spirit helper to walk until Jesus gets love for his word out of you. So let's start at the foundational principle because I'm tired of disunity. I'm tired of conflict. I'm tired of you know, watching everybody else be in derision. Let's, let's uh, stop the carnival ride. Let's get our bearings back. The Holy Ghost is grieved by conflict instead of consecration. And he's grieved by fellowship that is subverted by lesser issues and ideas. So can I go ahead and give you some foundational principles on the Holy Ghost? I mean, can I just show you how the Word of God will start doing the work of God in your life if you are plugged into these fundamental concepts of the Holy Spirit? 
See, first off, notice if you will how the Holy Ghost, and this is number one, will only engage your life in a context of obedience. You know what? You could, you could substitute the word ministry because that's how you show your obedience. There's a submission to biblical authority, and if there's not that, then there's no obedience. Therefore, the Holy Ghost is not engaged. But if you submit to biblical authority, even when it looks like defeat, and even if that defeat was based on your obedience, then the Holy Ghost is there. And he is there for all that God desires and God designs to bring out of you as a believer in Jesus. So if you have not yet had the consecration of obedience to the mission and submission to biblical authority, I can guarantee you do not experience the operation of the Holy Ghost. Now, you may be experiencing some things that some spirit may be bringing, but it's not the Holy Spirit. And you may get common grace, which even the lost get from God, but you're not getting the specialized supernatural grace that you ought to be walking in. We live in a day and in an age when evangelicaldom and some wings of Baptisthood substitute emotion for Holy Ghost power. They think that because they felt it in their heart, it must be real. Well, wait. You're going to substitute a following of your heart for submission to biblical authority? Oy vey. I mean, Jesus already told you your heart is wicked and deceitful and, and the devil is the master of emotional manipulation. So this is our first point for study. The only way to differentiate between demonic influences and the Holy Ghost is by whether you are living in the context of ministry, consecration, and submission to biblical authority. Whether you are being obedient and serving in the mission. Okay, watch, verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So now I want you to, let's start with his name. Spirit means he is non-material. Ghost means, here in the context of the King James Bible, ghost is a spirit in the shape of a body. So when the King James Bible talks about the function and the unction of the Holy Spirit in your life, when the King James talks about an indwelling Holy Spirit, it calls him the Holy Ghost. You do not have that distinction in any other translation. I don't know what to say, but you don't. But it is important that you understand this distinction when we are talking about the third person of the Trinity. For this very reason, Jesus says in verse 17, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. Since they don't see him, they don't know him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. See, the lost always limit themselves to the natural realm. So they cannot receive him until they are born again. 
But when we as believers talk about the Holy Spirit, we are talking about something solidly real, even though it is beyond our five senses. Sometimes, even as fundamental Baptists, we do not like to acknowledge that. And we don't like to, you know, because we're afraid of that. We're scared of that. We think that somebody's going to accuse us of going charismatic or being Pentecostal. And yet the idea we can know the Spirit as a person, if you'll look at John 4, 24 on your handout, God, John 4, verse 24, the idea that the Holy Spirit is a person is because God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. You know, I've been so upset the last six to eight months because I thought, and I think you thought, and most of us thought, that 2020 would be an etch-a-sketch year. Etch-a-sketch meaning I could just take it, I could flip it over, I could shake it, and then I've got a clean slate. And 2020 is gone. And 2020, uh, 2021 has not been an etch-a-sketch year compared to 2020. It has been an extension year. I mean, hasn't it? I think the dumpster, dumpster is still on fire. And 2021 has just been an extension of something I was hoping would be etch-a-sketch wiped away. And so what happens is in 2021... And what you find is, you know, if you, have a, if you have an acute pain for a short amount of time, you get over it and you go on. But when you have chronic pain, it makes you renormalize your life. And that is what God is all about right now. We need to renormalize our life to what we're going to see in this series. So to understand the foundational principles of the Holy Spirit, and this is number two, he will only engage your life if you are a spiritual being, being spiritual. You have to be alive to God in your human spirit to understand in these next few weeks the coming principles about the Holy Spirit. And you have to be a spiritual being who is being spiritual in order to expect the normal, abundant life of Christ to be available through His Spirit to you right now. See, His first name is Holy. So we talked about Spirit. That's His last name. First name is Holy. Do not let that scare you off, because Holy simply means a relationship with God a relationship rail that ministry runs on. Now let me hit you with the definition. This is my sidewalk definition. Holy means being set apart from the world while in the world for the accomplishment of God's mission. So it's not, holiness is not sinlessness. Holiness is your consecration to the mission because you have a relationship with God who is holy. And that is why if you are saved but not consecrated to doing what Jesus said and being a disciple-making saint, the Holy Ghost is grieved. And the Holy Spirit informs your conscience and tells you this because that is his name. And yet... I will be the first to admit that as Baptists and independent fundamental Baptists, we have, we have normalized non-mystical behavior, and so we've lost some of the power of the Holy Spirit. 
we have lost the fact that we need to be looking to the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we think that's too spooky. We think that is too mystical to us. So in place of scriptural mysticism that you ought to have, you act just like an unbeliever in your behavior. Day to day, go out from here, you act just like an unbeliever in your behavior. You act skeptically, not believingly, or in a faith-based way. So you approach your Christian life with a John 14, verse 17 mistake. You do not see him, therefore you do not know him in the moment. And you know, and most of Baptist Christianity has normalized unbelieving behavior in that respect. How do I know? Because when you should be walking in the Spirit, your first response is to search for solutions in the flesh. So Jesus now begins a study of the Holy Ghost with us. If you've asked Jesus to be your Lord, you are now born again, and the Holy Spirit has become the Holy Ghost inside of you because he has sealed you until the day of the redemption of your body, as Ephesians 4.30 says, which will happen either at the rapture your body's redeemed because you lived until then, or at your resurrection because you died before the rapture. So, so the Holy Spirit has, now listen to this, the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your life with the earnest money, with the down payment on life in eternity. So watch verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. So there's a distinction between the Holy Spirit's power and the Holy Spirit as a person. So within the one God, there are three eternal persons. And God the Father is God every place at once. And God the Son is God in one place at a time. But God the Holy Spirit is God inside each one of us who have come to Jesus for eternal life. And you know, not of, a lot of new age influencers look at the Spirit as an it, as an energy force. I mean, they all do because they inherit that idea from Buddhism. You know what the best that Buddha could do? What, what was, anybody ever study the life of Buddha? The best that Buddha could do was levitate. That's all he had in him. So in the moments before his eternal soul was abolished into nothingness, he levitated and called down lightning out of the sky. Big whip. So Buddhism is a great atheist religion because there's no God, there's no sin, there's no individual personality even. And yet there are forces of energy. Well, the Bible defines those for us as the God of forces, Daniel 8, 30, uh, 11, 38, and we know that as demonic influences. So I need you to know another foundational principle. This is number three. He is not just a power. He is a person with power. And a lot of charismatic Word of Faith TV preachers promise you power for your tax-deductible donation. And when they do their deliverance or their healing meetings, 
It can look a lot like what Simon the sorcerer saw in Acts chapter 8. I mean, he physically saw the power of the Holy Ghost come down on disciples as they got saved. And that was a one-time, one-off material manifestation to Philip and then to Peter and John so that they would know as Jews that even Samaritans and even Gentiles could actually be in the body of Christ. Because otherwise, how do you know? How would they know that someone really got saved and God put them in Christ unless something observable happened when the Holy Spirit was put in them? So in Acts, the book of Acts, which is a transition between dispensations, God says, look, I'm changing the rules. Here, I'm proving it to you. And I'm giving you fair warning. And I'm going to let you know that what the apostles are preaching is true. So you can see that in Acts chapter 8, verses 18 and 19 on your handout. And you can watch these same Simonizers on TV today or on YouTube as they offer you holy water from the Jordan River or a prayer cloth blessed by the holy man and make you think that is how you can have more of the Holy Ghost. I mean, just put your hand on the TV screen right now. If you're live streaming, you're watching at home, just put your hand on my hand on the TV screen. And, you know, I'm going to pray. And as long as you send in that offering, as long as you send in that vow, uh, then, you know, God is going to do something for you. And yet while they are offering you something, all it is is a symbol of power. I'm not offering you a symbol today. I'm offering you the power of a person. And the difference between the Holy Spirit being a power and a person is this. If he is power, you want more of it. But if he's a person, he wants more of you. And for some of you, that right there is exactly why you are not experiencing God. You cannot occupy your plan for your life and God occupy his plan for your life at the same time. So if you're not plugged into his plan, you forego his power, even if the Holy Ghost indwells you. And that brings us to the fourth foundational principle. His power, person, and purpose are all linked so we go to the Holy Ghost saying, look, give me more power. Holy, Holy Spirit replies, well, give me more of you. Give me more availability. Give me more consecration. Give me harvest team's participation. Give me an adult class commitment. Give me one hour of worship and one hour of service on Sundays. Uh, give me Sunday morning for preaching. Give me your life in your workplace. Give me your testimony to others. Give me your tithe to fund your own ministry through my body and reproduction of what this body is doing across the globe. And see, that's the problem with our prayer because what you're asking for is power and that's not what God is offering. What God is offering is a person and that person's power is tied to his purpose. So what does all that mean? This is our second point for study. If you do not solve the availability issue, you can forget the power play. I'm just saying, Christianity is not a power religion. It is a personal religion. And ministry runs on the rails of relationships. And that's why the Holy Spirit is a person, not a plan, not a program, not a protocol. 
I mean, all religions want you to come and either do some ritual to get God's power, so they are liturgical, or have some experience to have God's power, so they are Pentecostal. Only the evangelical, only Bible Christianity says, come to the person of power, make him your master, and make you his slave through faith in his word. And he is grieved if there is no consecration to his mission. You say, okay, Alan, Alan, what do I really need to understand about the person so that I can have his power? Well, that's a fair question. Look at verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. So we talked about holy, we talked about spirit, we talked about ghost, and now Jesus calls the Holy Ghost a comforter. And when you do a word study on that, you find it's a very enrich, enriched and enriching term. Look at 1 John 2, verse 1 on your handout. And if any man sin, we have a comforter, an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Same word, translated comforter by the James gang. So we don't have just one word to encapsulate everything he does and everything he is. I mean, here's someone you can call alongside who can help you state your case. Do you do that? Do you call the Holy Spirit to your side as you go through things? Do you call him to defend you? Or do you get argumentative and defensive yourself? Let me hit you with this definition. The comforter is someone you call alongside... Literally, that's what the word means, to enable you to make your case to others. So if you're a believer, by being born again, the Holy Spirit is a person placed inside your life to enable you to fulfill God's purpose with his power. And he enables you by wedding you to the word to do and to be everything God saved you to do and be for him on this planet in preparation for everything God wants you to do and be for him in eternity. So the one problem, you remember Moses had, the reason he was reluctant is that he felt like he could not state the case forcefully enough, either to make Israel follow him or make Pharaoh agree to let them know. So God said, all right, I, I, here's Aaron. I will give you Aaron as your advocate, your comforter, your mouthpiece, your enabler, a type a Bible type of the Holy Ghost. So what's the one problem that makes us not want to speak up as believers? I would say it is because we feel like we cannot communicate Christ with convincing power. But what you need is the comforter because the fifth foundational foundational principle is this. His placement in you is to enable you to stop making excuses for your lack of consecration to the mission. I mean, everything is a mess. God has our states in derision, one against another. I mean, there's been no time, I don't think, in my lifetime that we have had such apocalyptic images. So we thought we had it bad with wildfires that we have in the West, worst ever. But then you look in Siberia, in Russia, and even just one of theirs is more than all of ours combined. 
And then there's an earthquake in Haiti, and then there's all of this other stuff going on, and then Afghanistan is, is falling to the Taliban. It's like, ah, apocalyptic image after image after image. And if all I'm going to say is if you're lying up in the corner whining, that is not of God. Because the Holy Ghost gets you on your feet shouting. He was sent to give you the guts. So if you don't have guts, it means you're not walking in the Holy Spirit. He gives you guts to stand in front of the people who judge you and state your case from the witness box with his word in power. So the problem is pulling off a sanctified life, living in all sufficiency, abounding to every good work, and what the Holy Ghost gives you for that is guts. And I know some of you are saying today, Alan, okay, yeah, you know, I was tracking with you so far, but you're going to have to explain that. You need to prove that to me. Okay, the Greek word is splankna. Actually, you know, and demons cannot do exegesis, and that's how you know something is a doctrine of devils when they take a word like that and mean something else. But I can do exegesis. So watch, Philippians 1 verse 8. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the splankna, the bowels, the guts of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's what the Holy Spirit gives. He gives you the guts of Jesus. Philippians 2 verse 1, if there be therefore any, any comforter, uh, any paraclete in Christ, the same word translated comforter by the James gang, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any splankna, if any guts and mercies. Wow, I mean, that's what, that's what having fellowship in the Spirit means. Colossians 3 verse 12, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, what are you supposed to put on? guts full of mercies and kindness and humbleness and meekness and long-suffering. I mean, now we discover the fellowship of the Spirit gives us the mind of the Spirit by bringing us the fruit of the Spirit because it gives it to us in our guts. Now, these are foundational things about the Spirit because this is the theology of intestinology. So in the final analysis, and then we'll let you go, our third point for study, the Holy Spirit is a person who wants you available so you, he can give you his ability and work through your relationships to accomplish God's purposes by his own power. One time a kid was walking to school. Every day he'd walk to school, he'd get beat up by the school bully. Scott Farkas had come out and beat him up and came home crying one day as the father said, why don't you just fight him next time? So he went back the next day, tried to fight Scott Farkas, and he got all beat up. And I mean, he just couldn't do it in the flesh. In his own flesh, he did not have what it took to beat the bully. But then the day after, he, he was walking to school. The bully came out, took one look at him, and, and ran away. What was different on that day? Well, what was different on that day is the father followed the son to school. See, if daddy is behind you, you can walk with some guts. Not guts because you got the strength to beat the bullies. 
but because the Holy Spirit takes every believer who is sold out to biblical authority and walking in ministry obedience to him and gives them the guts. You know how Superman is kind of fairly meek and mild individual named Clark. But once he gets in that phone booth, now, I don't know what he uses today. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what he uses today. There's no phone booths today. But you remember back in the day, Clark Kent would get into the phone booth. And they thought they were just messing with Clark Kent. And he gets in that phone booth. And when he gets into the unseen, he unhooks his tie. He pulls off his shirt. He puts some Vaseline on his face. And what you discover is he walks around with a big S on the inside. And all the time he's walking around, there's this S on the inside. And you don't see it until he gets in some crisis. And then he pulls every, he pulls off the old man. And he comes out of the phone booth, not saying, I hope you don't, but looking at the enemy and saying, I wish you would. <laughs> see, I graduated Hickman Mills. I mean, we were bad. I mean, I mean, my school was so bad, it doesn't even exist anymore. <laughs> That's how bad it was. They did away with it. But anyhow, I guess I'm still a graduate of something. I guess I still have a diploma. But I mean, in, in Hickman Mills, you didn't look at the bully, the Scott Farkas, and look at him down the road and say, oh, I hope he doesn't. No, you, you had to be rolling up your sleeves saying, I wish you would. And that's the only way you stayed safe. You know, um, we, we have so many Reformed Christians. What we really need is transformed Christians who start living in the unseen realm and become this transformed person. And now every place they go, they've got a big S on the inside. Use the seen realm of visible scripture to be your open door into the invisible mystical realm of Holy Spirit filling. Because as you put off the old man, the real you burst forth, and now you've got the guts. Holy Ghost comes on the inside. Holy Spirit comes on the outside. The Holy Comforter comes alongside so you can rip off the weakness of the flesh. Stick out your chest and it has a big C, Christ man. In this series, God is calling you to rise up with guts above all the circumstances that intimidate, above all the sins that enslave, above all the enemies that oppose, you need a holy helper, but that's the foundational person you got. Do not let the big C stand for chicken man. He's everywhere, he's everywhere. Bok, 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 bok. I think we have too many Liberace Christians. You know, we've got too many glam believers with no guts. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Question from the pulpit this morning is, do you even have the Spirit? Do you even have the Spirit, bro? I mean, I know you have your human spirit, or else your body would be dead. But do you yet have God's Spirit so that you have eternal life? All you have to do to receive new life in Christ is pray. I mean, all you have to do to be born again is ask because it's free. And God's grace is free because Christ's work on the cross is finished.
So you can pray right now. Just pray and say, God, save me today for Jesus' sake. I trust Jesus today for eternal life. Jesus, I give you my life. And if you pray that this morning, will you thank Jesus by coming up to the front and let us know so that we can rejoice with you? And I want to take one more minute today and give you something that will show you how to grow in your faith and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Next Sunday, we finish Romans chapter 7. We're going to show you how to get unstuck. This is life to you. Invite somebody to come. Do not miss it. Praise team, sing us out. If you need any spiritual help or assistance, you come to the front so we can help you today.